You are listening to Behind the Product, a podcast from Lenore about the people and ideas that are shaping the future of retail. Hosted by Anama Akeke and Abiela Doherty, co-founders of Lenore. Hello, welcome to another episode of Behind the Product. My name is Abiela Doherty, and I'm interviewing the co-founders of Cozier, Hillary and Caroline. Cozier is a sleep essentials and loungewear brand founded by two best friends during the pandemic who couldn't find pajamas that made them feel confident and cozy. They started a mission to push sustainable manufacturing boundaries to create beautiful, multifaceted products. So let's begin. Hi, Hillary. Hi, Caroline. How are you guys today? And a quick question. Are you guys still best friends after starting a business together? No, we hate each other. (laughs) (laughs) We cannot stand each other. Um, yes, we are very much still best friends. We live a block away from each other. Um, Caroline comes to my house to work essentially every day or vice versa. And I, I think that it has only made us closer. Maybe that's cheesy. What do you say? No, I, I was hesitant. I founded another company before. So I like firsthand saw definitely the tensions that can arise between co-founders. I just like by nature of starting a company, super stressful. And I've just been so unbelievably happy with our partnership. We really work well together and have managed to maintain an incredible friendship that I think has been served by this company too. So it's been great. I think it helps that our friendship has always been just like brutally honest in a loving and effective way where I think we're not afraid to hurt each other's feelings or have hard conversations. And I think like not every friendship is like that. So we both did a lot of reflecting and considered it very carefully before starting this company because you have even more to lose if the co-founder relationship sours. And I think that since we met when we were eight years old, we've always been like very entrepreneurial, just like We organized our entire after prom and collected all of the cash and booked the house. We just were always scheming something. (laughs) (laughs) So I think we had tested it out over the course of growing up. And in college, we would do group projects together for our classes. And we already had some experience in like a working capacity and still being friends. So I, I think we had a little bit more confidence that it would work. I'm just going to add one more thing about this is we've also had not a competitive friendship, but like have constantly been in positions where we could have been competitive with one another. Like we were on a club soccer team when we we were really young. We both played the same instrument and were in an orchestra together that you would compete for seats. We then decided we wanted to go to the same college and from high school applied both to Penn. And so there were a lot of points at our friendship that I think for some people could have been inflection points of this feels really like we have an intense rivalry. But for us, for some reason, it's been always super supportive. And we've handled all of these things in a very funny way where it's, oh, yeah, Hillary, you're much better than I am at soccer. And she was like, Caroline, you're so much better than I am at the flute. Come sit in the back row with me. <laughs> so it's like, it's just always been very comfortable with where we're at, which has been super cool. That's amazing. Thank you guys for going over that. A lot of people are wary about um, starting businesses with their friends. And I love that you guys shed light on that and 
Hillary, you mentioned having those difficult conversations are very essential because you will run into issues or challenges while you're starting a business. So you guys both mentioned that you both have entrepreneurial backgrounds, that you've done a few things in the past. Do you mind going over your background? I started a nonprofit organization called Bluegrass Voters Coalition with another friend from college, and it was a 501c4, so you're allowed to do direct political work as well as advocacy work under that designation. And so we did a lot of data work, modeling, data analytics, polling in red states for progressives. So our focus was on states that were being overlooked by traditional democratic organizations and supporting progressives in those races through donating data and models. So it was super interesting. I learned a ton. Now I'm in my MBA program. So it kind of came to a natural close at the end of the 2020 cycle, but it was definitely a great learning experience. Nice. And Hillary, do you want to go over your background? Yeah. So on the entrepreneurial side, I've had a few half-baked ventures over the years. Like Cozier is by far the most legitimate one. In college, a friend and I started building an app that would consolidate your music streaming sources and like would allow you to do a social cue with your friends. We called that Songcore and we won this pitch competition, but then it didn't go anywhere because there were some technical constraints. And then after college, I did like an incubator fellowship in Tel Aviv where I was starting this chatbot app for university students to manage their academic planning. That was called Unibot. Also didn't work out. (laughs) Then I I did a podcast for a little while with a friend of mine from work. I started working full-time as a product manager at Atlassian, which is an enterprise software company. And we did, it was called Get Your Wit Together, the podcast where we talked to women in tech about everything but tech. And that was really fun. And it ended up being just an amazing way to meet inspirational and smart women in tech. That was also kind of a hobby where we were like, it wasn't, we weren't really trying to turn it into a business. It was more like, this is a fun thing for us to do. And then the last one was a plush Trump doll called Trumpty Dumpty. (laughs) I did not know you were going to whip out Trumpty Dumpty. Oh yeah, this was with my dad and my brother. And (laughs) it was a stupid little Humpty Dumpty Trump. And if you squeezed him, he like, we pulled these like, the craziest Trump quotes from YouTube and put it in the doll. And so he would say stupid shit. And then we like used the- (laughs) They became amazing dog toys. (laughs) (laughs) They're really funny dog toys. Um, And then we used the proceeds donated to the NAACP. This was when, in beginning of COVID, end of Trump's time in office. And so that was also just kind of like a fun fundraiser type thing with, with my dad and my brother. But- None of them were serious ventures. They were all helped me to cut my teeth a little bit and realize that it takes a lot to really get something off the ground. And so I'm, I think I'm approaching Cozier differently. Definitely. <laughs> Before you get to that amazing idea or amazing business model, you do have to test your hands out a few things. I'm sure all these experiences have help you guys into building Cozier. I guess my next question would be, how did you guys start and what was your inspiration behind it? And how did that journey start? So that started in May, 2020, just middle of lockdown. My significant other at the time was coming to stay with my parents. And I was just perusing the internet, trying to find something that I was like, 
felt excited to wear and felt it was cute. I hadn't seen them in such a long time, but I also wanted something that felt appropriate to wear in front of my family and something that I felt I wasn't showing my entire body when I went inside to go get a coffee. It was really, really a low bar that I was looking to hit and I couldn't find anything. And so at that point I called Hillary and I was like, Dubin, I think there is nothing that fulfills what I'm looking for. Will you back me up? Like, let me know. I think this could be something. And she, you know, did some competitor research and asked friends and did some actual backing up of my, at one point, kind of crazy idea and was like, no, I think you're right. I think this is absolutely something we should try and seriously consider as a company. Yeah. And I think that's where like the incubator programs and my product management experience really came in handy because like we started with this idea and then really went into like problem validation and let's talk to customers and let's explore the market opportunity and and see if this is actually worth pursuing as a business or it's just like we want pajamas, but that's not a, a smart idea to quit your job and make pajamas. And it it turned out that like it really seemed like there was nothing in the market and it was growing at a really solid rate and that a lot of people shared the same problem and that that was the genesis and we just took it and ran with it nice i've told you guys this before but your guys's clothing is exactly my aesthetic caroline you did mention it is very hard to find proper loungewear totally and the other thing we really struggled with is you don't want to wear a bra in the morning. And a lot of the materials that they use in sleep and loungewear make you feel super exposed unless you put a bra on. And so that's why we designed these with the double pockets so that you could just roll out of bed and not feel like your chest was completely exposed if you wanted to step outside and go walk your dog. Or, I mean, what we've seen is a lot of our customers love wearing these Like if they're on a tropical vacation with friends and you actually can roll out of bed and feel comfortable and then you can unbutton it and put a bathing suit on and wear it as a cover up to the beach. So it's it's both function, but also the fact that it's multifunctional that I think makes our garments so exciting. That's just part of the sustainability component of Cozier, which is that like it isn't just a pajama or just a piece of loungewear. It's also a garment that you can really utilize in a bunch of different scenarios, which is important to buy higher quality stuff and less of it. Yeah, thank you, Caroline, for going over that. And you did touch on something that I did want to bring up. You guys manufacture everything in LA. So do you mind going over your ethical um, practices? I think on the site it says ethical and not sustainable. Yeah, I can speak to that a bit. So At its core, we believe that fashion as an industry is not sustainable. So like when all these brands are saying we're making sustainable t-shirts, if you're making new t-shirts and wanting people to buy them all the time, that's not really sustainable. That's pushing consumption and that's creating waste regardless of the way that you do it. And so we think that ethical is just a lot more honest and realistic. And I think that throughout the supply chain and the manufacturing process, there are a lot of ways that you can make conscious decisions to reduce your waste or choose materials that are compostable or can be used for lots of functions and are high quality so you don't have to buy as much. And so I I think sustainable has become 
a buzzword, like investors look for it, consumers look for it, and a lot of brands kind of abuse it. And we want to be super honest and educate consumers on what it really means for a garment to reduce the impact that it has, both socially, environmentally. And so a big part of our mission is not only creating these more ethical, multifunctional garments, but also sort of educating consumers along the way of, of what that means. So for us, that's choosing flax linen instead of cotton because it uses 20 times less water. And it means reducing the transportation between our factory and our dye house. Those are all in LA and we do all of our manufacturing in downtown LA so that we're not like shipping one thing from Amsterdam to China and then China to the US and then shipping again. Like that all factors into your impact when you're creating that product. And then you can do easier things like buying carbon offsets or using compostable materials for your packaging. A lot of companies do that. But what we mean by ethical is just asking ourselves at every single step of the supply chain, what is the right thing to do here and how can we reduce the amount of carbon we produce, the amount of waste that we produce? Just to add to that, I think coming from a political background, it's just interesting to feel like you can also take those values and what you're working towards, having worked in politics, to basically every other industry and a part of that for us is paying a living wage to all of our workers. So we felt like it, it's just another way to vote and actually show up for the practices that you care about. And so supporting um, factory workers who are making at least $15 an hour is a really important part of that for us. And it's just important for people to hold themselves accountable because there are a lot of progressive progressives out there who then are shopping at Zara and buying fast fashion, even though, what they say to care a lot about our workers' rights and humanitarian concerns. And so for us, that's really core to our business. Yeah, I love the intentionality about that and also the full thought about, okay, making sure that your manufacturers are in LA, everything that you do is within distance. And so you're reducing the carbon footprint. And you did mention something very interesting, Caroline, because as we're seeing around the world right now, the whole fast fashion Shein producing thousands of clothing every day onto their site. And so a lot more people are becoming more aware as to what's going on um, behind the scenes, because again, a lot of people don't necessarily know how item or garment is made and you just get the end product and yeah, I'm happy. This is great. But like everything that goes behind, it's very important for the founders to be very intentional and actually care about these things because this is how we make a lot of these changes moving forward and essentially being the change we want to see, right? So I guess my next question would be, has there been any challenges because brands um, maybe like yourself or a little bit bigger, a lot of them do ship from abroad or they don't necessarily have that intentionality or forethought of, you know, let's do everything within the same area. Let's build, let's manufacture everything within the same area. And as far as what I've been hearing on um, their end has been, there are a lot of challenges dealing with that and it's quite expensive. Do you mind going over some of the challenges and how you guys have overcame that? I think the main challenge is around cost. Yeah. Where like, we know this is the right thing to do for our brand, just for our like core ethics and beliefs. Like this is important to us. 
So right now we're willing to accept a little bit of a higher cost, a little bit of a smaller margin. And I think the way that we solve that is by scaling up in the future. And as we are able to create more, we can bring our costs down. Um, but we don't want to compromise on decisions that we've made from the offset around our supply chain because we believe that those are the right things to do. So that's something that we are actively working through, but it definitely is a trade-off and one that we think will be worth it in the long term. But yes, it would be cheaper to go to a factory in China and just use the cheapest linen we could find and mass produce that way. But but we don't believe that that's the right decision. So it's it's a, a trade-off we're willing to make right now. Definitely. I love that. And you guys started with that. And I can see on your guys' site, everything is sold out, which is amazing. It's very good on your end because <laughs> a lot of people realize you guys are producing quality products. And I think, Hillary, you mentioned it, the higher quality you get, you don't have to buy it as much. And you guys try to educate the customers, which I really like. I guess my next question would be for people that want to do what you guys are doing or essentially learn from some of the practices you have done. Do you have any tips as far as things that have helped you along the way into building this business? Yeah, I think the number one tip that we both would have is structure, structure, structure. Anyone starting a company, the most important way to hold yourself accountable is build in meeting times, build in deadlines for yourself and really hold yourself to them. And also around that structure, like build in a vision and the pillars of your business from the offset so that when you have difficult questions around things like which factory do we use or which material do we choose, you have already defined, these are the things that we care about. This is what our business stands for. And you can like refer back to those principles to help you make hard decisions. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Also, I think you probably know this, but making a physical product is just way harder than you would anticipate. So build in more time than you expect. Things are slow and complicated and sampling is a massive bitch. So (laughs) get ready, buckle up. It's going to take a lot longer than you expect. Hillary and I, when we were like very new to physical product, expected we had this idea and we were like, great, by the end of September, we will have product. And we, we had will- the idea in August. Yeah, we were like, this is going to be amazing. Like, we can't wait to see it. And my sister, who had actually worked at a fashion brand for a long time, was like, you guys are nuts. The earliest you'd have physical product is next April. And we were just like, you're so negative. Why are you so negative? Yeah, why are you such a hater? We're going to do this in three months. And then eight months later, we're like, oh, maybe she was right. Yeah, she, knew, she knew what she was talking about. I think especially coming from software, you read the lean startup and you read all this stuff about agile development. And I'm so used to let's ship an MVP and iterate on it and then figure it out as we go. And you can't really do that with physical products. To some degree, you can follow that structure, but it takes so much longer and iteration is so much more expensive. It's not just like changing a few lines of code. It's working with a factory and changing the designs and producing something all over again. So it definitely is a bit of a mindset shift where it's like, okay, this isn't an app. This is, this is a real thing that takes time. Yeah. I love the delusion. I think one thing I do say is a lot of founders need that delusion to help them 
jumpstart because if you foresee a lot of the issues that are going to come with starting a business later on down the line, maybe you wouldn't have done it in the first place. But that delusion, it's it's a good thing to me. <laughs> I think it's very helpful. <laughs> I, I totally agree. If I knew it was like, oh, it's going to be a year and a half before you're actually shipping anything. I think I would have been like, forget about it. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> we need the hopeless optimism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm interested, you guys both come from different backgrounds, politics, software. And I wanted to know, how is that trying to get into the fashion industry and not necessarily having that traditional fashion background? I guess, how were you guys able to compensate? I've always been extremely into fashion. And I think I was dissuaded from it in large part because I was seen as like much less creative than my older sister, who is traditionally very creative with all arts and crafts, painting. She's now an architect. She just had the creative package going and I can like barely write my name with a pen and paper. So <laughs> so I think even though I had loved fashion and always felt, oh, I'm creative in some capacity, it had never dawned on me that that was something I could actually pursue. Once I realized, oh, this is this is actually something you can do. It was super empowering and exciting. And then that kind of creativity and excitement around fashion paired with Hillary's like unbelievable skill set in all things business related, getting shit done, being an amazing project manager, product manager. Um, it's just like the complement works so well together. What What would you say? I would agree. <laughs> but yeah, I do think we are babies in the fashion industry. Oh like my God, there, yeah. there are a lot of things that we don't know. And <laughs> we're trying to be super honest with ourselves about that and like ask a lot of questions. And we have just been meeting with people and trying to ask them everything and pick their brains and be like, is this normal? What do you do when you run into this? For example, our very first production run, some of the buttons are falling off of our shirt. And we were like, okay, well, is that on us? Is that on the factory? Who pays for that? What do we do? Does this happen a lot? And so asking people who are more experienced in fashion, what is the norm in that sort of situation so that we don't pay too much or like get taken advantage of? Not, not that our factory would do that. We love our factory, but just like, those things where we just don't know what is typical. And so we're like trying to figure that out as we go and, and just learn as quickly as we can. And also I think we're looking to bring in advisors and the next person on our team ideally would be someone from the fashion industry because we realize that that is a, a gap in our skill set that we really would love to add to the team. Yeah. Yeah. I would say there's a massive difference between like loving fashion and the experience of having worked in fashion we totally realize that and have to give so 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 much credit to our factory because they have just been like unbelievable shout out Giannetti factory yeah it, it's been incredible and the program they have set up there with real product developers who can work with you one-on-one -on -one and really assist you in making your designs come to life has been just like um i mean we couldn't have done it without them. Yeah. So, yeah. It's not just passion. It's skill that we don't have. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's it's a lot more technical than many people presume. But you guys are doing a great job. And I love your items and everything on the site. So 
We're getting towards the end of the interview, so I have a few quick rapid-fire questions. What are some of the books that you guys have read in the past that have been helpful to you on this journey? I think one of my favorite books around product management is called Inspired by Marty Kagan, and it's How to Build Products That Customers Love. And it's not about physical products, but it is a really helpful framework for like everything that goes into the product discovery and development process. And I think a lot of that is applicable to fashion. And I think in some ways, like taking that tech mindset and like applying the parts of it that work in fashion actually has been really, really useful. I mentioned earlier, like some parts don't apply. So it's not one-to-one, but I do really like going from wonder phase and validating and then going into production and then post-production and understanding feedback and then doing it all again is, is super applicable even when it's a physical product. So Caroline, you're in business school. Hillary, are you still working with Cozier on the side? So I have been with Atlassian as a product manager for four years. So I'm now a senior product manager at Atlassian. I I manage two other PMs, but I actually just put in my notice yesterday. So congrats. um, That's amazing. (laughs) They're very supportive. The team members who I have told are just so happy for me. And I think my approach to my relationship with my coworkers at Atlassian is to be super transparent and just supportive and and not hide the fact that I was do, working on Cozy or that I was working on Atlassian or how I divided my time. So they knew it was coming. And yeah, I'm, I'm going full-time on Cozy next month. Amazing. I love, love to hear that. So wishing you best of luck with that. And the last question I would give you guys is what inspires you? What inspires me? I think that I've always been really inspired by music and nature. I think when we think about colors, I always think about, oh, this is like a sunset or, oh, this is like a brand new leaf or like, I, I, it's so lame, but like (laughs) I a baby leaf, (laughs) just a little baby spring leaf. I, I just think like, the outdoors has always been a huge part of my life. And when we apply that to design or like, what can I wear this product to do? Can I go to the beach? Can I walk my dog? Being outside is a, is a big part of my creative inspiration and, and the way I live my life. And I think same with music, like it doesn't apply exactly to Cozier, but I think that's where I feel the most in tune with my emotions. And when I'm feeling something, if I put on a song that matches that emotion, that is my way to get into flow mode and just feel feel the most productive and feel like I'm able to process my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with nature. We grew up in LA, so so much of our life was at the beach, in the mountains, hiking. We were very lucky to get to spend a lot of time outside. So I think nature is the number one inspiration. And then I think outside of that, there are definitely fashion companies that really inspire me. Like Dries Van Noten, I think, is some of the most beautiful clothes. And that's definitely really inspirational. And then I'm kind of furniture obsessed. So I think I get a lot of design inspiration from that too. What else? Music, of course. But yeah, I think there are certain designs. And I think... Like on a more practical level, there are certain brands who inspire us on a design front or even on the business front. I think 
Everlane's approach to transparency around their pricing and their manufacturing is really inspirational, something that we've noted. And Ghani's approach to ethical and conscious production over sustainable production was really inspirational to us. And like Paloma Wool's aesthetic and like really making like art and creative process a part of their brand was inspirational to us. So I think there are parts of other brands that also totally inspire us, but I guess on a personal level, it's, it's the outdoors. Love it. Love it. Well, thank you guys. And everyone that's listening, please go on their site, sleepcozier.com. They have fantastic products. Again, these are the founders, Hillary and Caroline. I want to thank you guys so much for joining me on this call. And we look forward to more that you guys accomplish over the next couple years and in the future. Thank you, Abby. This was so fun. (laughs) Thank you so much. Yeah, it was great. Everyone use Lenore. Yes, use Lenore, everyone. (laughs) Bye.